Yeah, so it's going pretty well. I'm dominating. I'm going to continue to dominate. I'm the best there is. Uh, All right, well, we'll check blessings. in with you later on the blessings. tournament. Go! <laughs> Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Phil Blackman. Phil, how's it going, man? Yo, what up? It's your boy, the GOAT. The OG. <laughs> The greatest of all time. Heck of an interview there. Heck of an interview. What's up? Uh, yeah. What is up? Yeah. So we're going to go over our experience uh, at the uh, at SEG Con uh, Baltimore, which, uh, you know, we I think I think there's some value here, even though we didn't top eight uh, necessarily. I think the value in, in that, like, what what did we do? What mistakes did we make? You know, as people getting better at the game, as as I think most of the people watching this, uh, watching the podcast are, as people getting better at the game, what can we do to improve? Uh, and where do we make our mistakes? Because I think it really it's really important to be honest with yourself when you're when you're trying to improve uh where where you went wrong. What what plays will you uh try not to make again? You know, what lessons have you learned, you know? Yeah, and I, I think that also uh, something that we have for ourselves as part of the cast, like we have uh subscriber goals that we're trying to hit with the channel and things like that, but as creators of the content that are on the channel we also have goals for ourselves in a competitive capacity yeah and that is like as we do more of this and we get in more reps and everything like that like our goal is to top eight an event within the next year that's like yeah. any legacy event we can get to is to top eight a legitimate legacy event and you know prove competitively that we know what we're talking about as well as yeah. Uh, theory crafting and everything else. So we'll recap. It's, and there's, it has there's been a minute. Story. It has been a minute for me. The, my last top eight was a vintage tournament uh, in 2019. So now that I'm getting physically back out there, it's you know it's it's time to start grinding again. Yeah, and I find that like going through and recapping each each round of your event that you played after you've been removed from it for a couple of days, right? You it's yeah. settled a little bit. You're off of it now. You can go back and reflect. And I think that that sort of reflection to remind yourself and really ingrain any of the things that you remember learning in those events to really like set that in. And yeah. next time you won't make the same mistakes or you can adjust from play patterns that you saw, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. One thing I like to do is I take notes uh, after the round. I put, I put notes onto my phone and just kind of like real quick, to, like give myself an idea of what happened. I'm not trying to write an entire tournament report in between rounds. It's so much mental load, but just getting a mm -hmm. like big plays that happen, things to remember so that when I go back and look at my, you know, look at my sheets and whatnot, luckily MTG melee uh, shows you all of your opponents and what they were on, which really helps like jog the memory when you're, when I'm doing this, but um, yeah, getting, getting a chance to just go back and, and look at the notes that you've made it, in real time, like when you're there doing those things, it really helps you remember the key moments. So I think if, if you're going to be uh, the type of person that does this, uh, that that wants to make notes that, you know, even if you're not a content creator, uh, I think it's, it, it's a very helpful part of the getting better process. And if you look at a lot of the the content creators we know that are very good, uh, Bosch and Roll and, uh, and, and Bryant, you know, uh, they do this too. They take those notes and, uh, you know, in between rounds, they're... The, their heads out of the game per se, but they're not, you know, they're, they're, they're keeping a mental note of, of things to expect and, and how they did in the last few rounds. Yeah. And other things that I, I'll typically do is if there's a, a critical moment or like a critical mulligan or something like that, I'll just jot down quickly, like, uh, you know, I'll just like, um, initial almost like cards in my hand to analyze a keep or a mulligan against a certain deck yeah. and, 
yeah, and talk those decisions out with uh, people that you went to the event with. So just just taking notes rather than like actually writing them down is helpful rather than trying to take mental notes. Because usually if I mean, everybody's had the experience of like, hey, would you keep this? I think my hand was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Uh, wait, no, no, wait, actually, it was this, not that. Yeah. And then it's just like you never actually can analyze something because you don't actually have the details specifically. So, you know, help yourself out. Yeah. So the day started. Uh, I, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna skip ahead just a touch, and uh, go to the end of round one when we interview. Uh, when I interviewed Sam Sam Rukas, uh, who had won the first round. So we get a, a small tournament report from Sam. All right, we're here with uh, Sam Rukas. Sam, uh, what card do you think is gonna be the most impactful card from uh, Lord of the Rings? We're, we're on day one. Day one. I think it's already Orcus Bowmaster. We're seeing a lot of them around. At the uh, table say. Yeah. Um, so, what are you playing specifically in, in this tournament? In this tournament? Um, I was kind of locked into breakfast. Uh, okay. So, still doing that. Doesn't feel great in a bunch of Bowmaster. Bowmaster seems around. like it's pretty good against breakfast, yeah. being able to pick off your, uh, your guy. Yeah. I mean, you don't expose your combo pieces before your turn. Um, but it's obviously, you know, it's got flash. It's a thing. <laughs> right. um, so, walking around with a couple extra chances, uh, a couple extra chances. We're in round one. What are you, what are you at right now? Uh, one and oh. All right. Joining the one and oh club. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, man. So now we can talk about Phil, your round one. So I had a very easy round one. My opponent didn't show. So I got that nice, that nice buy, that nice unexpected buy. Yeah, man. That's the super one. skill tester right there. If you can just have your opponent not show up. Bro, but then pressure's on, right? You get a free yeah. buy in an event. You're like, all right, I try not to squander this. Yeah. So I got to buy. Spoiler alert. <laughs> we already said we didn't top eight. So we already know that, Phil, you did mm. you did squander. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah. So my first round, I played against uh, River. Uh, he was on Reanimator. And uh, I kept like an OK7 force, you know, uh, force blue card, Tomb and Saga. So I, I, I didn't know what he was on, obviously. I didn't know what anybody was on until until the round started. I'm not uh, I'm not as big a grinder online or whatever. I don't know everyone's names to that point where I'm just like, whoa, I know what you're on. But uh, I kept I kept what I thought was a, a pretty solid like in the blind hand of like ancient tomb bobbles and force blue card and river started out with like unmask grizzle brand reanimate and I countered it. So I felt I felt pretty good about keeping that hand. And then I just ended up taking that game with uh with the constructs, which was, you know, blanket, just what you what the deck does, right? What eight cast does. Uh game two, uh I, I sat it in my my graveyard hate and I opened uh Fairy Macabre and another ancient tomb Ursus Saga uh startup. So I was like, this is fine. I'll I'll just keep this and like, you know, we can't even counter it. So like he has to he has to use discard to even make me not be not be able to interact. So like, let's just see how it goes. And uh, he was light on lands and never really got uh, mold to six and never really got going in that in that round. And the game ended with I still had the macabre in hand and I had a uh, a soul guide lantern in play. Uh, and and obviously uh, the constructs just took over the game. So that was my round one. And I did a small interview with River uh, at the end of the tournament, just asking him questions about uh, about the new set, Lord of the Rings cards, and and, and you know uh, his tournament thus far. Hey, we're here with River, uh, my round one opponent. Uh, you were on Reanimator. Yeah. Um, so, 
you, we, we both haven't seen any cards from the new set because uh, I'm not playing any yet. Right. And it didn't look like you had any in your deck. Correct. But uh, what, do you, what do you think is going to be the most impactful card from this set? Uh, I think definitely Orchestra Masters. That's one of the cards your players are going to have to learn to play around. Oh, yeah. Seems like Grizzlebrand hitting a, being hit by an orchestra message is crazy. Yeah, it really just turns off Grizzlebrand as a whole. Um, so my thoughts are, you know, as a reanimator player, uh, how much better does Atraxa get versus Grizzlebrand? And, um, you know, really kind of see I think one of the decks that I'm more scared of is like blue black shells, like Shadow. Yeah, yeah, Shadow. And this, you know, it goes really well into that deck. So if that causes a, you know, a rise in popularity of that, that's something I would have to be worried about. Yeah, so. thinking of switching to more attractive or something like that. Possibly playing Sauron, the, uh, the Dark Lord. That's true, yeah. <laughs> that, uh, that's really difficult to remove, so. Yeah. Um, how long have you been on uh, Rear? Uh, so I've been on and off on it for since 2018 at this point. Um, played it online a decent amount and uh, trying to come out to conventions when I can. Yeah. Awesome. River, thanks so much, man. Thank you. Good game. Yeah, good game. Yeah, in my round two, I played against a four-color control player. Uh, nothing really too much of note except that uh, he was in, the, I guess, the same hotel or uh, in the same car as somebody who plays at my local. And so he actually knew my list. They looked at Moxfield ahead oh, of time, no. uh, just talking about my control list. So they, he knew the, the, you know, my third Mystic Sanctuary, that like nothing was a surprise to him. Uh, and the, the games weren't really all that interesting. It was, uh, you know, Slamma, Minsk and Boo, both games, Force of Will, Force of Will, back, end of game. Uh, yeah. Minsk and Boo just snowballing both games, nothing really eventful, uh, just kind of got bodied by a single card. That, uh, that'll do it, yeah. Planeswalkers are especially tough for your deck. Yeah, Minsk and Boo can be your commander, so I should have played around that. <laughs> yeah, should have. you should have just played commander instead. Yeah. Um, yeah, my, so my round two, I played against Viet, who was on death and taxes. And um, looking at the life pad, I mean, this was a this, total grind fest. Like, this is, let's find it here. This is what the life pad looked like here. Uh, it just constant, constant back and forth. Uh, game one, uh, I had to force an early uh, Spirit of the Labyrinth, uh, which I hated to do, but my hand was all like cast cards, all draw twos. So I really didn't want to just lose to not being able like not getting any value out of my cards so i was like okay i i mean what else am i going to force against this deck anyhow like i might as well force a will this they're not a combo deck i'll be okay and um then i went uh it, it just went like he just went skyclave apparition into lauren uh the retro foundry got taken by the skyclave apparition Psy got taken by another skyclave apparition and, you know, we were just jamming fair magic cards at each other until Lauren came down. Lauren took out something else, I think one of my constructs. And, you know, the, the game just like kind of grinded to a halt for a minute. Put Lore, uh, put Yorion in his hand, blinked all his guys, and it was just blowout city from there. Like I, I couldn't come back from that. Uh, I think game... I was, I, I, I think I walked by your table <laughs> and I saw the moment where all of the oh. stuff was flickering back in from Yorion. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, that game's over, but they're still yeah. playing it out. Yeah, I tried, I tried like, uh, I, you know, I tried for like another turn or two to just like try and rebuild, but like, I just didn't have it. Uh, game two was like super fast. I prioritized the constructs. 
and eventually just got in with lethal before Urion could hit the board and like blink everything. And he didn't have enough to like to stop me completely. So game game two went much better for me. I think there was a chalice on two at one point, or maybe a chalice on one at one point that stop, that was like stopping sorts of plowshares, uh, which he did end up getting rid of. But it, it did, by the time everything was going, it really didn't matter. I think I forced a sword to plowshares afterwards. Uh, game three was a slug like game three was a slug fest again. Let me show you that this is game three. Uh, game three. Uh, my life total went from 20 to 9 to 25 to 3 to 9, and then I was dead. Like, I'm just up and down and up and down. You know, I had out my my Morgul Blade uh, or my Morgul Knife uh, Shadow Spear, Shadow Spear. And uh, between Swords of Plowshares, Lauren, and and Skyclaves, just the attrition that DNT brought, like, I just could I could not get, get past it. So uh, I think, I think. I say this a lot about eight cast. If I have infinite turns against another player, like I'm eventually just going to outcard them. But that's not the case with DNT. DNT is the is the deck that like if if they have infinite turns, they will outcard me. Um, so I think the the number one thing with this deck that that got me is just like getting all that value a second time off of Yorion. Like having a guy on a stick that like disenchants, like disenchant on a stick, very good against my deck. Disenchant on a stick and then getting to get that value a second time is just bonkers. And between yeah, Skyclave and Lauren, it was, it was, you know, I, I had no chance. So uh after I, I met uh Viet after round four because he was off to do a couple other things, but I wanted to get uh get that interview with him. So I met uh Viet at the end of round four and we'll go to his uh interview right now. All right, we're here at SCG Con, uh, Baltimore, uh, the Legacy 10K, and we've got my round two opponent, Viet. We're in round four right now. Viet, how you doing so far? 2-2. Uh, 2-2, two, two. Two, two. rough, rough. You had such a great start. I know. I so, um, I so... You're not dead yet, though. Yeah. 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 Um, so you're on DNT. Yep. Um, you've got four rounds of the, of the format. Have you seen any of the new cards that you think like might be might be great? Not at all. Nothing yet? No. It's... I guess Orgus Bowmaster is Bowmaster, yeah. Yeah, it's the, the hot the hot card. How do you feel about Bowmaster against Dean? It's very okay. I, yeah. I think the issue is black creature is already really bad against DNT. So I guess it's it's fine. It's, yeah. yeah. I mean it does the blocking for sure. It makes a guy maybe it takes out a Thalia or something yeah, like I think that. It works, yeah. But it, it feels it does feel medium against a deck that's yeah. not drawing a ton yeah, of cards. I'm not drawing any cards at all. Maybe do you, do you even play with a palace jailer so you could get? Uh, no, I don't play palace jailer on my list anymore. Yeah, and you're playing and you're playing uh, the eighty card version, so you've got uh, you've actually got extra hate against drawing cards Way in your main yeah. with the uh, with the uh, spirit of the labyrinth. Yep. Yeah. Well, good luck in the next round. Thank you. We're into ra we're coming into round five, and uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm live too. I'm two and two. Awesome. <laughs> Quick ethical question for you before I move on to my next round. So uh, I'm. One of my opponents, through it's I, it's not my round three opponent. I'll talk about my round three opponent. It was very cool. Uh, knew who I was from uh, 90s MTG. He had seen a list. But uh, separately, ethical question for you. If somebody at a live event sits down across the table, hello, how are you? Okay, cool. You sit down. And then the first thing that they say beyond that is, what did you play last round? Which is obviously a fish for information. Yeah. What would you say in response? I always just tell them I, I don't it, I'm not I'm not so, so like look if I was more of a spike I, I probably would be like uh we can talk about that after the match and, and and in fact when I talk to people at the beginning of the match I tell them like 
hey, like, you know, I'm working on a podcast and I'd love to ask you some questions about the new set afterwards. I won't ask you anything beforehand. I know that you might, maybe you've got some new cards. Maybe you have opinions about those new cards, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, I, I'm very upfront about the fact that I'm not trying to like gain information from them. But if, if someone's trying to gain information from me on that, like, you know, you could also lie to them and tell them you played something different the next round, you know? You want to be like yeah. the true shark, right? Well, it, yeah, I, I was sort of uh, caught off guard by one opponent who had asked me, like, point blank, what did you play last round in a way that was so obviously a, a fish for information yeah. rather than actually caring what you played against last round that it was, it's it, it, it sort of like, changed the dynamic of like the hello how are you's and the friendliness more yeah. toward like this like cold like oh we're angling right now yeah uh and so same thing i i i was honest in that scenario and then after the fact was like mm, i think that might have been to my detriment uh so i was like but that was one of the things that i i, I marked down afterwards i was like i'm gonna ask how other people approach the situation and i think the correct thing is to just say i'll tell you afterwards if you're so curious yeah yeah. Uh, or lie. It's no big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wouldn't no lie. I, I, I couldn't do that. But, uh, you know, if, if someone, if you see someone angle shooting you like that, like, it's totally, I, I don't even know. To just be like, oh, yeah, I lost to, you know, oops, all spells or something. You know, like, it, it was one of those things where it's like, I don't even think, I don't consider it an angle shoot in any way. It's just like fishing yeah. for information. Like, if you sit down at a poker table and you're trying to get some body language or something, yeah. like, it's, it, it's, it's totally fair game, right? Like, the game starts before the game starts. And, yeah. you know, I, I, in, in, a, in a high stakes tournament, like, I, I can I can appreciate it. I mean, I'm not I'm ever going to do it. I'm not going to be like, what'd you play last round? Or like, you know, the gimmick where you're trying to like um, eyeball somebody's notepad or whatever, or trying to fish for whatever information yeah. you can. But like, I, I totally understand if somebody else is going to try and get those edges if they can. Uh, and I was thinking, what what is the, the uh, at-large community's etiquette take on how to respond uh, politely to those kinds of in inquiries? But okay, so yeah, I agree with you though on, on yeah. how it goes. But I, I try okay, and so, keep it. I try and keep it casual. I'll be like, we'll chat it up yeah, afterwards. Yeah, like, let's let's talk. Yeah, yeah. Let, we'll definitely. I I'd, I'd love to talk to you afterwards about it. You know, like because like it was very obvious that it was a uh, fishing for information, and I did not just call out the well. If I tell you, it would give you a lot of information for your mulligan decision, so I'd yeah. rather not. Like, I yeah. think that's like it's just like just calling out like what is being insinuated <laughs> is like actually the healthiest way to talk about it, rather than <laughs> being like. Oh well, you know, I don't I'll really, tell you uh, after you mulligan. I, I'll, I'll just, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like I'll just I'll also continue on the facade of like what you're asking. It's like no, you can just call it out and be like, look, man, I don't want to give you that information before we mulligan. Like, I yeah. think it's, uh, but it's a good question though. Like, yeah, uh, uh, power to you. Yeah. Um, okay, so moving on to my round three, I played against a guy named Josh, really cool dude. Uh, he recognized uh, um, my name on melee uh, from he played Demir Ninjas. And he had seen a long time ago on 90s MTG, I was, you know, brewing around with a blue-white ninjas deck and saw that and and had the take. And he remembered it. And so we talked about that a little bit. The the match was pretty much a uh his deck just did not function for him. Like he had a bunch of enablers, but just never in one game, he just never found a ninja. So I was taking like one from Changeling Outcast for like several turns on no ninja. And then the second game, he missed on his land drop, so he wasn't able to protect a ninja he found, and I just hit it with removal. So the the games ended up being not too interesting because his deck in two different ways just did not perform for him that round. He he caught the bad end of variance. So that, that was pretty much that. I didn't make any significantly intricate plays. He missed a land drop, and I was able to capitalize. He didn't find a ninja, and I was able to take hits uh, without having to expose removal uh, on his uh, enablers. So 
Yeah. Pretty, and this pretty put smooth you to round. Two and one. This this may be two and one. Yeah. Uh my round three was uh this fellow Jeff, uh Grixis Delver, really fun opponent. Um game one was chalice and constructs. Like I just did the thing, put out the chalice, put out the constructs, and just got in there, right? Game two, uh, I was dude, I was running hot. I was like, okay, I'm just gonna ram down constructs, play chalice on one, and I was dude, I was riding so high. And you know what happened? He played Orcish Bowmaster, and the content creation got me, Phil. Uh, it just, I, I just like, I got in my head so much about how good Orcish Bowmasters is as a content creator, as like talking about it, as one of our videos up here, like we'll tell you, you know, uh, it was, it's a good, it's a very good magic card. And uh, I, I drank Kool-Aid, Phil. I drank your Kool-Aid specifically when you got me on that whole it's good against eight cast, all the cast cards in your deck, all the drawing, blah, blah, blah. And in that scenario, I don't think it was as good as it needed to be, but I force of willed it anyways. And I had a thought monitor in my hand. So I felt, you know, I felt pretty good about myself. I, you know, slammed down my thought monitor the next turn after, after doing that. And uh, I drew two cards and my opponent untaps and he cast meltdown. (laughs) I felt like a moron. Because I could have saved that force of will for the meltdown, obviously. And, you know, and of course, like, then there's there's the thought monitor just staring back up at me like, you moron. I had no permanents on the board aside from th- thought monitor. Like, I had already lost my, uh, I think he wastelanded my uh, saga, you know, and uh, all of my, like, I had C-Design odds. So it was, yeah, I just looked like a complete fool there. Uh, and, and he trounced me in that, in that game and game three, um, I'm going to make game three quick. Zach respects meltdown. Meltdown gets cast. Meltdown gets cast again. And that is, that is the way game three worked out. And, uh, Jeff, Jeff, uh, just ran over me. It took him a little while to flip his Delvers. There were two Delvers that would not blind flip. Uh, but once they did, the game was, was quickly over after that. And, uh, I did, I did a post-match interview with, with Jeff. And he had some feelings about Bowmasters. All right, we're at SCG Baltimore, and uh, my third round opponent, Jeff, was on Grixis Shadow. Uh, sorry, Grixis Delver. Grixis Delver. Uh, Delver. You're playing Bowmasters. Yeah, it's three of them. Three yeah, of them. yeah. yeah. That, uh, that seems like a, the, the hot card this week. I love it. It's like my new favorite card in the game right now. Everyone kill creatures. Yeah, man. I play against Mother of Runes round one, like the Death Attacks that kills Thalion Curve, kills Spirit kills mother like if you're on the play yeah it's just such a good card so what have, have you had any blowouts with it yet no because i haven't played against like a brainstorm deck yet yeah. i played your eight cast deck death and taxes and reanimator i would if i would have drawn one into the grizzle brand my opponent played i would have killed him so reanimate yeah. draw seven 15. i had two mana yeah. so <laughs> didn't respect it but unfortunately i didn't have it so if i would have had it, it would have been a cool kill cool. yeah I had, I had reanimated in the first round, and I, I, I felt in a similar way, but I, I'm obviously not playing Bowmasters. Right. I thought about actually throwing them in, because I'm playing eight eight uh, artifacts that make colored mana. That makes sense. So I could have, you know, I could have, but I was like, ah, that's too cute. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you're you're uh, two and one right two now. Two and one, yep. Lost right. reanimator, beat death and taxes, and uh, yeah, just happy to be here. Love that awesome. legacy. Awesome. So. Thanks so much, man. Absolutely. Nice to meet you. Have a good one. Yeah, thanks. So uh, I agree that Bowmasters is obviously a very good card. It's going to be a mainstay for Legacy for a very long time. Uh, it is not the the broken, crazy something or other that's you know going to overend the format. I mean, 
perhaps it will have a lot of impact on what excellency play uh, as as people get more accustomed to it. But the fact that it doesn't stop you from doing what you want, it punishes you for doing what you want, means that the yeah. textures is very different. If exactly. you get if your whole if you get whole breachered in response to your brainstorm, the game ends on the spot. If you get bow mastered in response to a brainstorm, you take some damage and they put some bodies on the table, but you still get to play a game. You're still alive, you, yeah. You, you still get to resolve your spell. So you got punished for your spell and now there's a threat that you have to deal with, but it doesn't just straight up mean the game ends. Yeah, you know? it's it's, it's definitely like, better against Grizzlebrain than it is against uh, what's called uh, uh, Brainstorm. Regular cantrips, yeah. So it's like, if you get whole breached in response to your Brainstorm, that means that you just got him to Turok to end, they made treasures, and the game is over. Like, mm -hmm. it's just over. You're, you're never recovering from that. Yeah, so it's a five-card difference, yeah. In those in those respects, like, I think, like, oh, in those regards, Hull Breacher is just straight up an actual hate card and makes games really uninteresting. It's just, like, um, it, it, uninteresting in the way that, what I mean is, like, similar to any hate card would hate out any kind of deck. Yeah, like, like Choke against just, an island deck. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Like, like a blood, blood Moon against your non-basics. Like, it just straight yeah. up, it, it ends the game on the spot. Whereas Bowmasters doesn't do that. So, you know, I think we we definitely had the hype. I'm sorry that you fell into uh, drinking some Kool-Aid, but, you know, now you know for the future, right? You know, yeah, you know exactly. For, uh, like I learned that, that, well, this is one of those moments I was talking about at the beginning of the, of the cast. This was a moment where I learned that I don't need to force of will a Bowmasters. I need to force of will a Meltdown. And and I learned- no, I learned Meltdown is one of those lessons. cards. Yeah. Yeah, like Meltdown is one of those cards where like the game yeah. usually ends on the spot. Not always. Yeah. You can rebuild. I've I've rebuilt from it, but th not this totally. time. Not especially not with over the course of three games, three meltdowns were cast. That's just too much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can draw basics against Blood Moon, right? Like there, there's maybe maybe in a world, but like more often than not, the game ends. Yeah. Uh, in my round four, I played against a guy named David. Very very nice dude. He was on a Lurin. He was on uh, Bug Lurin with uh, all of the you know one one flyers that draw cards. And we played the longest, grindiest first game back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. It was probably the most um, like intricate and compelling game I played all weekend. It was and the we ended up finishing the match. Uh, we I won the first game and then we didn't complete the second game going to time because the first one was a like as grindy as you can like literally miracles versus all of the x ones you're going back and forth imagine that cemetery illuminator was actually the hero in that matchup uh i played cemetery illuminator over the weekend and uh cemetery illuminator with mystic sanctuary and thwart was my engine that kept up and maintained the capacity to trade with all of his one ones that all cantripped so he would cantrip and then i would mystic sanctuary for removal to maintain the board and so rather than my removal trading down a card uh, cemetery illuminator going long meant that i was effectively drawing two car two to three cards every turn to his drawing two two to three cards every turn off of like arrows and and yeah. baleful strix and ice fangs so it was just extremely grindy in that way and i could never break through because he had this army of one ones and he could never break through because i was playing miracles and had you know all of the interaction to stop him from comboing yeah. me and so we both just saw you know got to the bottom ends of our decks so really intricate game there wasn't anything um like particularly unusual about the games it was just an extremely grindy game but also really really enjoyable a lot of intricate micro decisions that all mattered and uh really enjoyable match yeah so before we get into uh my fourth round i wanted to quick give a shout out to our uh, sponsor moxfield.com moxfield.com is the best deck building website out there uh phil and i use it constantly 
you can find all of our lists on moxfield.com. You can follow the Eternal Dirtles Moxfield, where we'll put all we put our lists up for tournaments. You can follow my personal Moxfield, where I have all my EDH decks, all of my legacy decks, all of that stuff as well. And Phil also has his his Moxfield. So all those links are below. Check out moxfield.com. They rule and they've got just so many cool features. So my uh, round four. My round four was against Sam. Sam was on Goblins. And Phil, if I was on Rug Delver, like back in the day, Goblins would have just scared the crap out of me. But in a deck where I actually have, like, I've got creatures, blockers, and I'm also playing relatively fair magic, uh, you know, and not trying to tempo my opponent out, this didn't feel like a very tough match for me. Uh, I, I, you know, the, fir the first game, I just did some Construct stuff, put out a Shadow Sphere, and attacked, and I was fine. The second game, he pressured me with some Goblin Guides, and, um, you know, that was a little scary, but he drew me, like, Goblin Guides and cards. Goblins? Yeah, there were Goblin Guides. I don't know if this was an optimized list or not. No idea. I don't know enough about Goblins to say for sure. Um, but... Uh, the, gob the Goblin Guides came down, and they were pressuring my legs head a little bit, but I drew, like, an Urza Saga, a Cedar Synod, you know? Like, I got a bunch of extra cards just for him, you know, doing four or five damage to me over the course of a couple turns. And Lackey came down a couple times, but I always had, like, a turn one uh, a turn one uh, Emery. So, like, I could just block it effectively. So it didn't really matter to me too much. I wanted to do an interview with uh, with Sam afterwards, but uh, he had to run off to deal with some uh, some stuff in between rounds. And so uh, instead, uh, I got uh, my ride and my new friend Freya uh, from the Philly scene to do an interview with me in between uh, round four. All right, we're here at SEGCon for the Legacy 10K. We've got Freya. Freya, this is round four. Uh, you're on. I'm still live. You're on. What deck are you on? I'm on Painter. You're on Painter. Yep. So this is the first tournament where the Lord of the Rings cards are legal. Um, what what do you think about the impact of these cards on the format so far? So far, I mean, I've seen one. Okay. I saw one copy of Bowmasters, Bowmasters. and it killed my Goblin Lover, and I was very sad about. Um, that seems the general consensus is that Bowmaster yeah. is out there right now. That's the one yeah. that people are looking for, and. I don't think enough people have them. Yeah, I to, think, to make an impact on the day. I think that I think that's the general happen. consensus as well. Yeah, um, it will I'm, happen. Do you think there's anything that you would you would put put into your deck given enough time to, to pick those cards up? Oh, gut shot me. From I mean, from the new set. Oh, from the new set in future. I'm looking at the ring. I think it's a great target. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Overall, Painter's a tight deck. It's yeah. hard to get a spot in. Yeah. And we'll see. Maybe Cavern Horde Dragon out of the sideboard Maybe for that mirror match, right? Yep. Or for 8-cast. Yep. Dragons Dragons always help. All right. So you're live at 2-2. Two and two. Yep. I am too. I'm live at 2-2 two and two right now. Uh, we'll see what happens as the day continues then. Yeah. All right. Good luck. Thank you. Likewise. In my round five, I played against uh, Pox, Mono Black Pox, with uh you know classic mono black pox the way that the matchup ended up the what i remember from it like what the notes that i took down were 
he won the die roll. So he was able to pick me apart game one. He stuck a couple of planeswalkers. It wasn't really much of a game. I don't remember ever really making any meaningful game action. I kind of just, my hand was picked apart. He played some planeswalkers. I never really did anything. I scooped the game. Game two, uh, I boarded in. I, I just moved away from everything that would two for one me, and I moved towards Triumph of Saint Catherine out of the uh, to as like my 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 way to like really steer the game. He did not see a Triumph in game one, as that I recall. But his uh, turn two hand lined up really nicely with the draw that I had, so he was able to. Uh, I was able to miracle a Triumph. But he naturally, in his in his opener, had a Nile Spellbomb and a Dark Ritual for Liliana. So he went turn one Nile Spellbomb. I miracle the Triumph of St. Catherine. And then he just went Dark Rit Liliana, sacked my thing, and then uh, exiled it from the yard. And then followed up with a car and a turn, a turn or two later, and that was it. So it, it it ended up just being that, like, our, we we sort of just like lined up our hands and his lined up better. That yeah. that was really the like the only argument would have been to not have Miracle the Triumph onto an empty board, uh, but that I don't think anybody makes that play on such a low resource count, knowing that you're playing against the discard deck. Yeah. Uh, I think you just slam the five five and expect it to be good enough against black removal. But he had the exile thing. He had a way to get a, a very sticky planeswalker that I was going to have trouble removing. So it all just lined up and uh, he bobbied me. It was a it was a really fast two zero. Yeah, I uh, I ended up playing in my fifth round. So now I'm two and two, and you are. You, I'll I'll be something else at the end of this round. But you are currently three and two, right? Three and two after round five. Three and two after round five. I also ended round five at three and two. I played against Nick, who was on Death Shadow, Demir Death Shadow, just the standard, you know, pretty much stock Death Shadow. Uh, every time I look at a sheet versus Death Shadow, trying to remember like what happened, it's so hard because like. You're, you know, I play the deck too, so I'm like, okay, this happened, this happened, this happened, and then, and then I started doing damage to to them. Uh, so the opener was just like the classic 15 life shock fetch thought seize to open. Uh, they they I opened with uh saga. They wastelanded uh some cantrips. I played another saga, uh, and then the they fetch and they go to 12, and I go construct construct shadow spear. And it was kind of just over at that point. I think uh, it's it's very hard for a tempo deck in colors that don't hate on artifacts to like to deal with two giant dudes uh, that aren't being cast and and mm-hmm. a life linking card that like that it just it, you know these these like tempo style Delver style decks um, just cannot compete with a life linking eight eight like it's just impossible. I was gonna say I know we had. Uh you know the, our, our our link to our interview with tony scaponi where we asked him you know is urza saga the best pound for pound card in legacy and he said it's got to be up there with the with the other top cards i still I think, think it's the I best think, one yeah i think urza saga is pound for pound the best card in legacy and yeah it's like a, an uncounterable bane slayer angel with an additional body as a backup yeah. bane slayer it's, it's just like too hard wild. for a lot of decks you know it's wild how um, good that that card is so after round five well wait i'm not done round five yet Okay. That was only one oh, game. That was only, that was only one game. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and game two is really quick. Uh, Nick wasn't able to get their life total low enough to uh, put out Death Shadow. Uh, and I was able to turn one chalice. And Saga just finished the match for me from there. Uh, the post interview with, with Nick, uh, they're super high on Fairy Mastermind. And uh, they preferred it over, over Bowmasters uh, in all four stacks, they were saying. 
I guess, uh, yeah, I guess blue count is still relevant, right? Like, that's yeah, the not, blue count is huge. You know, being able to pitch, yeah, that and flyers, and also, uh, whereas Bowmaster is uh, some amount of board control and board presence, Fairy Mastermind can be uh, a way to rebuild on getting card some amount of card advantage, which uh, a deck like Wait, Phil, let's take that, let's take on. that uh, again with the blue count, so that I I get like a little bit of time to uh, cut cut to the thing, because basically he ends saying that, so that if you start with that, it'll like look really good. Oh yes, uh, yeah. So fairy mastermind uh, versus orcish bowmasters in a deck list like that. I guess it's like important to still be thinking about your blue count uh, when you're contemplating which threats to play. So yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I uh, sorry, uh, Nick made an amazing point actually. Yeah, having more blue cards. Like there are some decks that might not want orcish bowmasters because of that, and they do depending on what role you're looking to fill with that slot. Fairy Mastermind being able to rebuild some amount of raw cards as opposed to Bowmasters being more presence. If you yeah. feel like your deck is already pretty flush on heavy board presence, which you know often the case is when you have a really thick Death Shadow on the table, that being able to just go back up some amount of cards when you're exchanging between Thoughtseize and uh, Force of Wills, just being able to go up raw resources, particularly when your opponent's trying to do the same, means that you can be in a very leveraged position just having more resources. So I think it's a reasonable... Yeah, it's still a reasonable comparison to I think, to, to slate. I think an interesting question then is like, if you're, are we going to start seeing decks that are fairy mastermind, force of will, right? Bowmasters, grief. It's possible. I mean, I think that there, Bowmasters, I think has more homes in all of the decks that aren't blue as well. Yeah, like in meaningful Maverick, ways, like sure, they would yeah. actually want that effect. Whereas I think a lot of the blue decks don't necessarily want Fairy Mastermind because they already have some amount of raw resource uh, advantage with all of the other powerful blue effects. Yes. So it, 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 I sort of think about it like Esper Sentinel. Like the decks that play Esper Sentinel are happy to have Esper Sentinel because it's doing a unique aspect that white doesn't often have in an effective cheap yeah. card the way that Esper Sentinel provides. Whereas Fairy Mastermind is good as a flash two drop, but you know, there's plenty of card advantage spells you can be playing in blue or blue shells that they don't need something like that. You're yeah. playing like Staff of the Storyteller in a lot of builds. You have the three mana walkers that all are card advantage in a lot of ways. So like Fairy Mastermind has more competition in the decks that would play it. Where Bowmasters is like, yeah, you want it in Red Black Painter, it's going to do some work there. You want it in uh, any of the like Grixis uh, Shadow where they're like looking for some uh, po additional powerful threat potentially alongside... Uh, the base that they already have to make up for expressive iteration going. So there's some give or take there, but I think, I think bone masters has more homes than fairy mastermind, but yeah. both are good cards. So round six. Well, I was going to say after round five, the, the, the thing that I took notice to in how I was going to go back and uh, recalibrate my deck for a future event is I noticed that the games that I won or the matches that I won the, the deck operated the way that I wanted it to, right? Like my, I, I put in a lot of practice with the, brought, the list that I brought and it effectively worked exactly like I wanted it to in the matches that I wanted it to. The unique spot that I recognized that I was very, very deficient against in the two matchups I lost were specifically Sticky Planeswalkers. Minsk and Boo yep. bodied me by itself in two games against my round two opponent. And then Karn and Liliana, each of them by themselves bodied me in my round five. So... It, it was very clear that I was soft to Planeswalkers and that that was going to be where I was going to be hindered for the rest of the day if I ran into it again. And so I was going to have to think to really, if I knew that a Planeswalker was going to be coming down, that I had to really contain my counter magic for that. Uh, but that, that was the thing that stuck out to me after round five, sitting at three and two. I was like, 
I was very underprepared for planeswalkers that were not blue. Yeah. Yeah. So in round six, this was one of my, uh, uh, one of the matches of the weekend for me. It was against a, a guy named Max. Uh, he played lands. The games were uh, pretty interesting. Cemetery Illuminator, again, the hero of this matchup because the incidental uh, graveyard hate, I was able to snag a loam. I was able to like essentially cut off his engines while going up resources on my end because he did not have access or um, easy access to a way to remove a 2-3 flyer that was disrupting him meaningfully. And then I was able to go up a bunch of resources on it. So it really carried the match. Uh, Cemetery Illuminator was definitely the hero there. But... Beyond that, that was really both games. Both games were on the back of Cemetery Illuminator disrupting the graveyard. Nice. The real the real shining moment of this match, though, was I'm playing, you know, fully altered miracles. And he's like, oh, you like altered miracles, huh? Yeah. So he reaches into his bag and he pulls out a deck box and he's like, you'll appreciate this. And he hands me the most exquisite fully altered miracles deck I've ever seen in my life. Like... It it was just every single like it just was content full, for just for you. It was all full <laughs> art, just like masterpieces across mm -hmm. the table. Just like I thought, my collection was good, right? Like I thought my altered miracles deck was pretty. Yeah, man, I feel like my my shit is child's play compared to what he handed me. It was a museum. It was yeah. a museum oh, in a deck gosh. box, and it, I, I I it was the moment of like. After seeing that thing, I was like, man, I, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that somebody else had a, a, a Miracles deck that looked like this. It was yeah. uh, it was breathtaking. It was absolutely breathtaking. Yeah, so, the whole altered universe. You guys, you guys are uh, you guys are your own crew. It was I, I, I will <laughs> I will I will, I'll, I'll, like I, I was literally like I sifted through his deck for like maybe a minute and a half. Like not really. I just like not that much time. I just like got to check out all the things that he had. But like each one just imprinted in my mind it felt like i was you know in the tape it was it was awesome yeah it was really cool cool well uh real quick while i have everyone's attention uh i wanted to ask everybody to uh comment below if you think that an episode like this is something you want to see more of where phil and i go over our tournament experience and even though you know we didn't top eight or whatnot but we're kind of giving you the the play-by-play -play, if that's something you want to see more of if you, if it's not it's totally okay i i just want to find out if this is something that you guys are into um, and, uh, and comment, uh, you know, how did you go to, did you go to SCG Baltimore? How did you do? Uh, also for, for, for contextual reference, the Tate is a uh, museum, is an art museum in London. Yes. Yes. For, for, <laughs> for people who don't know where, uh, you know. For you classless <laughs> heathens out there. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you want to so, go see a Rothko, go, go, yeah, go yeah. to the Tate. So, uh, my round six, now I am three and two as well. So we're both, you're, you're what, four and four and two now? Uh, that made me four and two after four and two. So lands. I will be yes. four and two at the end of this round. I played against Andy and it was the mirror eight cast on eight cast. Just like this is the, this is the uh, exact matchup that I love to play because like, it's not my, like my best matchup in the format, but I love the eight cast on eight cast matchup because you really get to see how your opponent feels about the matchup, right? Is everything's just sitting out there and there are so many decisions to make. And you get to see where your opponent prioritizes their place. So for me, uh, uh, game one was a stock, like who gets and prioritizes Urza Saga? It was me. Um, and Andy went from like from 20 to 12 to zero. And I was at 34 life at the end of the game. So I just, you know, two constructs, got him in and did and did the did the stuff. Um, 
construct mania just like yeah it's just constructs just do it you know uh but do, do, so, you, you got to try the saga you got to play that try, test out that saga yeah what is it scroll of isildur scroll of isildur uh and that could have that could have changed the whole game for 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 him you know scroll of isildur you know well we have that Steal we that have construct. that video as well yeah Steal that construct yeah um so in game two emery was the feature of the match uh andy used her with haywire might to just completely ruin me devastating uh got my saga brought it back got a bunch of other stuff i think got a retrofitter foundry too and uh, I didn't stand a chance in that in that uh, in that game. It was just devastating. It just complete sweeps. Like I think, let's see. Yeah, I don't even know wherever the wherever the cheat is. It doesn't even matter. It was a sweep in that in that game. Game three is where we both started making really interesting choices. Game one and two, either either pilot would have played those relatively the same. I think we it, you know like I was prioritizing. My sagas in the beginning, but like any adult would have done that in a scenario where, uh, you know, you have where you have them, right? Uh, but game three got was really interesting because Andy had a couple of choices to make, and I had a couple of choices to make. I went all in on sagas, and uh, and we already know because I told you I won the match that that was you know ostensibly the right play for me to make. Um, but Andy went on the path of Emery to the exclusion of using his sagas. And uh, I only had like two four fours. Like I had, uh, you know, I had like Saga, Saga, and the uh, and the Sphere. So I had a, a four four and a three two with the Spear on, on one of them. So the first hit was only for four damage, but I quickly started like making them bigger. And I think uh, it just it, he decided in one turn that he was going to go on a different path and play uh, play other cards and not activate his construct or his saga for a construct. And because he decided that he was going to cast spells and I had a force of in my hand, I just forced that play, keeping the tempo on my end going, time walking him. And by the, by the next turn, uh, he went from, we, we both had been using uh, tombs. So he was at 16, went to 11 and I untapped and just killed him. Like I had just had Zach, enough on the board to win. Zach, it sounds like, you effectively controlled the narrative. I did control the narrative in that game. Yes, that that it turns out that if you're able, especially in the eight cast eight cast mirror, I firmly believe, and you know, you're welcome to you're welcome to disagree with me. I firmly believe that you should not be casting spells if you don't have to cast spells. Using all of your resources that are non spell based in that matchup, even if you think your opponent has sideboarded out their force of wills, just knowing that. I set out my chalices. I just don't like, I don't even play that like weird. Like I'm going to put chalice on zero game. It always punishes me. So I, I keep my force of wills in and I wait for them to cast a spell that means something. And I just try my all time hardest to be like, I, I did something for free. You paid mana to do nothing. And I'm still getting in with my, with my uh, constructs, which is exactly what happened. Uh, and at the end, the, the only issue I had with that match was that at the end of the round, there were 12 minutes left. And we were on the other side of, of the convention center and Jimmy John's was all the way on the other end. And I just didn't have enough, I was starving and I didn't have enough time to get food. So I popped over to the, uh, the like convention sidebar thing. I grabbed a, a roast beef sandwich and, and ate that. Now I don't have a, uh, a tour, a tournament interview with Andy. Andy did not want to, uh, do, do a, uh, interview, which is totally fine. No one's, no one's, I'm not forcing anyone to do interviews with me. Um, but, uh, I wanted to go back to round four 
and show you this uh, interview we got with Bosch and Roll, uh, Brian Koval. Uh, we also have the the uh, full interview uh, post-tournament uh, right up here. But uh, this interview right here is of Bosch and Roll when he is 4-0 uh, in the tournament. So this is two rounds back for us. All right, we are live here at SEG Con Baltimore with Brian Koval, a.k.a. Bosch and Roll. Uh, Brian, how are you doing right now in the tournament? I am successful. I've defeated all of my opponents. Oh, wow. Four and oh right now, because we're in round four. Yep. Um, see anything new? Uh, anything new from the, the Lord of the Rings set? I played against Orcus Bowmasters last round out of Rakdos Painter. Rakdos Painter? Yeah. That's in, that, that deck's starting to gain a little bit of popularity. I saw the, the results yesterday for the trials were... Uh, that was one of the bigger decks. Yeah, that's one of these Magic Online squeezes where Rakdos Painter is the stock build in paper because of Chaos Defiler, but we still are just dredging around with Mono Red on Moto. Yeah. So, like, when I saw the Bowmaster, I was like, that's weird, and then, oh, it's not that weird. Yeah. And yeah. it's fine. Pretty so, good. Uh, my opponent unfortunately used Lotus Metal to cast the Bowmaster, and then when they died two turns later, they showed me a hand of five black cards. Including the Bowmaster, which I bounced and with the fairy at some point. So just five black cards in hand, four red sources in play. Not I'm a on, way to play magic. I'm on Painter, and I've been thinking about just throwing it into my deck. Uh, I've got eight sources to cast it with. Heck yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll find out uh, how the rest of the tournament goes, though. Uh, this is, what, round five is coming up? It is, yeah. And you're doing, you're doing great. So, it's a long uh, day. Nine rounds is long. We're not yeah. celebrating anything yet. But, of course. You know, the, the morning work is done. Right on. Well, I'll catch up with you as the day continues. All right, yeah. Have a good one. So my round seven was against Death and Taxes, and... Uh, there again, I was playing a miracles ver a, a list of miracles that was on Cemetery Illuminator and Triumph of St. Catherine in the main. I was not on any terminus for this event. I uh positioned myself thinking that Triumph was going to do enough work for me that I wouldn't need the terminus, and uh, that might have been the wrong call. It was obviously like there were a lot of matchups where Triumph is excellent. I was very happy uh, to see how much, given how much Delver I saw in the room, I was happy that I had Triumph of St. Catherine in my list. However, I did not run against Delver at all in the nine rounds of the 10K. I ran into it in the 7K, or in the 7K, the 5K on the following day, but I did not run into Delver at all, despite uh, it, I see sitting around it a lot. Like there, I, I there keep were a lot saying that Delver's games. popularity is waning, man. Yeah, like I saw Delver a lot. Like it, it was, it was at the tables there, where I yeah. was. Like I, it was around me all day. Like I, I saw a lot of Delver. There was a lot of Bowmasters to be had, a lot of Grixis Delver around me. But I never actually ran into it. And my pairings ended up making uh, Triumph of Saint Catherine look not as strong in that, like um, against Four Color, where they're on, you know, uh, Minsk Uro and Swords to Plowshares, and they have know, Swords. Triumph, yeah. is, Triumph is a little anemic. Against uh, Aluren, where they have a bunch of X1 death, 1 1 death touchers, Triumph is a bit anemic. Uh, against DNT, where they're on uh, Yorion, Solitude, Swords of Plowshares, like a lot of white removal. Again, a 5 5 Tarmogoyf from the ground is not really going to get through in those matchups. So I my, the, usually I'm very happy when I'm playing Miracles to sit across from Death and Taxes. In this case, I felt like I was a bit underprepared. And what ultimately ended up happening was they had enough removal for my threats that I wasn't able to get a cemetery illuminator uh, engine going. I wasn't able to like protect it long enough to coup enough advantage and triumph just did not pose all that difficult of a threat. 
four of them between uh, all of the white removal that they had. And it really just came down to we traded, we traded, we traded. The companion mechanic is really good. He put uh, an additional threat in his hand, so he just naturally was up cards. And then that sort of snowballed the game as he had a Krakus to then eventually grind it out. So the the games, both games uh, came down to that. I boarded in my entreats that I had in the board for the grindy matchups where I knew that Triumph wasn't going to be strong enough, but uh, I never found an entreat in time by the time the game was already lost. So uh, it, it came down to, I was unprepared for the matchup. I had the tools in my arsenal if I wanted to be able to target this matchup, but I was much more situated to go up against Delver in this event than I was against DNT. So that's just on me. You know, I could have prepared better for a matchup that I was unprepared for. All of the tools that I would have needed to have win those games were available to me in my prep had I wanted them. And I just made different choices going into the event. And that's how it goes sometimes. But um, tight games, good games, but uh, I felt underprepared. Yeah. My my round seven was against Jordan, who was on Blue Painter. And I, I had never actually played a match against Blue Painter. And let me tell you, I am in love with this deck. Like, I want I want to play Blue Painter now after playing against this deck because it's, it's eight cast plus. Like, the it was just like... Oh my God! What three banger uh, games too? Like we we duked it out. It was like watching like Rocky Four. Like it was just amazing to me. And and of course I ended up being Ivan Drago in that situation. <laughs> Suddenly the well, entire yeah, crowd, yeah, I, I, or all the Russians turn on Ivan. <laughs> so I, I I recall when I walked in. So I I saw I was walking by this match too. You know we we because yeah. we had a very similar record, so we were you know within range of each other. We all were day. always like two tables away from each we other. We were sure we were going to play against each other. And it was relatively easy to find you because you were in your Pac-Man suit. Yes. So you know you weren't difficult to spot from a distance. And I remember as I walked by, there was an Urza Lord High Artificer sitting across the table from you, and I was like. I didn't know that he was on Painter when I saw that on the table, but I was thinking to myself, I was like, oh, well, that's a mirror breaker. If I'm, yeah, dude, one. it well, it was indeed a mirror breaker. That so in round in game one, uh, I pulled ahead early with Urza Saga and got there just before Urza Lord High Artificer like valued me out of the game. Like I snuck in there. I think, I think I ended the game with a uh, Kappa Cannoneer that I like grew out real fast and and swung in for, for the kill, but like. I was pro had that lasted like another turn, I would have lost the game. Well, I remember us whenever we talk about the you know your eight cast games, and then you're talking about what it's like in the mirror, and you prioritize Urza Saga. It's like if prioritizing Urza Saga constructs is actually the way to beat that matchup, then just adding more Urza Saga, adding more constructs, Urza, yeah, of course. More, more constructs yeah. seems like a really potent tool. So was... when I saw that, I was like. Oh man, like why didn't we think of that? Yeah, no, it's it that like I need to pick some up. The, that card was amazing so the in game two i was on the same plan i sided out my chalices i put in some graveyard hate for the for the emery situation with the with the grindstone painter uh and i actually dodged a blind flip urza saga uh, so blind flip urza painter like he had the grindstone out he you know shuffled with urza flipped it over i cut the deck and boom painter on top i counter the painter and uh, I'm like, oh my god, I like, I'm so dead. Emery's Emery's right there. Like, I'm in trouble. Top decked a Soul Guide Lantern, slammed it. You know, okay, I'm still in this game. You know, and uh, it just, I the next thing that happened was Hercules Recall, and I couldn't. There's just nothing for me to do. Like Hercules Recall, just I couldn't come back from that. So uh, 
I rebuilt like hanging on for dear life, but eventually I, I just, you know, I just got outvalued by the pressure of Jordan's deck. And, and I think that I lost to, to his construct, like just one giant construct. I mean, dude, if, if, if he was playing two Urza, two Urza Lord High Artificer in his 75, as well as a Hercules recall. Yeah. He, he, he knew he had a plan for the mirror. He knew oh, what yeah. he was doing. No, yeah, for sure. You know? I did too, so. but like his plan was much better than mine. And uh, if we go into the next game, an even better plan. Uh, so my lack of a good night's rest at this point is 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 definitely taking a toll. My reps against this deck, the fact that I've never had any reps against this deck definitely got me. And between the pressure on my life total, the grindstone painter combo, and not to mention Emery coming back, bringing it back, and Haywire Might. Ah, Haywire Might against my deck is, is so bad because I can't even use my Emery. He killed my Saga with Haywire Might. That game was rough. And then uh, removed my Lantern. Uh, remove my retrofitter foundry, like everything I was doing, Haywire Might was just valuing me out of the game. And so- Yeah, just vindicate you every turn. Oh, uh, it was so bad. I even I even got my retrofitter foundry to turn one of my servos all the way into a 4-4, right? Because the game ended like this. He swung in with two giant uh, giant uh, constructs. And I was, I was at a, like a, an odd life total. And I looked at the board and I was like, you're going to put me to one. And I've got Morgul Blade on board. I think I had at that point dealt with the um, Haywire Might, or I dealt with the Emery. Uh, and I was like, all right, like, this is it. Like, I've got to take this damage. I've got one construct, a, a construct that's co coming out next turn. I'll get the Morgul Blade. And I have a 4-4 construct. So I was like, I'm not going to block. I'm going to try and get back in and do this. And I take the damage. You know, I'm like, oh, no blockers. And they goes, I'll make a token. So he made another artifact, pumping his team, and I didn't even see it. And so I lost because I wasn't paying attention, which is, it's a sleep issue. You know, like I had I been paying a little bit more attention, that is a trick that I do, you know, uh, I, I would have known to do that. So I think that at that point, you know, it was a long day. Uh, I could have I, I rolled out the X2 thing, but as fate would have it, X2 didn't even make the top eight. So uh, I, I, that was the end of my day. Yeah, that that is a similar uh, status of what happened after my rounds too. The, we we after we hit the the last couple of rounds, uh, I noticed that there was also a significant drop off in how serious players started taking the event because they were dead. <laughs> yeah, right? they were dead for top eight. So it, 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 the 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 atmosphere was much more. It, it was like it, it's not that people were uninterested. It's not the 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 lack of like wanting to play the. The desire to play extremely tight in order to convert a win was no longer there. It was yeah. much more loose and like, yeah, if I, I mean, punt, whatever. We can say know. that for our seven rounds, people were pl were trying hard, you know? Like, yes, yes. <laughs> after that, it's like uh, kind of, you know, what what have you. Yeah, the, the stakes are gone once you're dead uh, for top eight, right? It's like, you know, the 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 the, the money to top, uh, to, to make it in the rest of the event just isn't there. So... Uh, I mean, I can wrap up both my last two rounds. I, I don't have many notes on them. I well, don't remember. Before we go uh, into that, to that last round, uh, I couldn't. Uh, so Jordan uh, had to had to move on, and I couldn't get an interview. Uh, but you got an interview with me uh, in, in, after my final round, but right before I left the the convention center. Oh wow! Uh, <laughs> hello, my name is Phil Blackman, Force of Phil, and host of Eternal Dirtles, and with me as always, Zach Clark, Zach. Also the host of Eternal Dirtles. Yeah, so uh, all the Dirtle maniacs out there got to know that I tried my my all-time very hardest to uh, to get there. I was four and two, and you know what? 
in the uh, semi-near eight-cast versus blue pair. I just I just couldn't get past Urza. So Urza Lord Iodifers are out of the board in A-Cast. All you A-Cast players listening out there. Did it crush you? Did you do you feel defeated inside? I have been crushed under a thousand thousand force tons of constructs. So uh Zach, Zach Clark, host of Eternal Gardens, how are you gonna recover from the ultimate savage beatdown that you faced at the hands of your opponent last round? Well, with the with the love and support of all the dirtle maniacs out there, uh, you know, I'm just gonna go back into the tank and uh we're gonna we're gonna keep testing. And, uh, you know, we're going to get better. You heard it here first. Zach Clark, host of Eternal Dirtles, undefeated in spirit, uh, but unfortunately defeated here at SEG Baltimore. Uh, I'm Forrest Phil for Eternal Dirtles, uh, signing off. So I think I'm going to – I'll wrap up my last two rounds pretty quickly because uh, they, they, they were not matches for stakes. They were just for reps. But, like, everybody – you know, it was a long day. It was a nine-round event. Uh, people were hungry. People were tired. People the, – the, the capacity to top it was gone. So uh, I played in round eight. It says against the Zorius tempo. I honestly don't remember what that means or who or what that was. Uh, but you played spirits. Me and, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't. It's listed as a Zorius tempo, but I, I I didn't mark it down, and I don't remember on on MDG melee. It's listed as a Zorius tempo. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what it was, but they two owed me. And then I played against uh, eight cast in the last round and got there. And let me tell you, I know that. Uh, Cemetery Illuminator, I, it won me a couple of rounds, but against ACAST, where they can't remove Cemetery Illuminator effectively, it just goes deep, and they can never really uh, get a, a hold on the on the games because Cemetery Illuminator just ancestraling every turn while also messing with Emery is just really valuable. So yeah. Cemetery Illuminator did a lot of work for me, and I, I was very happy to sit across from. Normally, I'm not very happy to sit across from ACAST because there's Saga's a beating. But Cemetery Illuminator really changes that matchup in a significant way because it just lets you keep up on resources and then also interacts with the graveyard in a meaningful way to stop Emery from being an absolute menace. So, uh, well, I have I have there. here the uh, the uh, Azorius Tempo deck. By the way, this is uh, Invisible oh, yeah. Stalker, Esper Sentinel, True Name Nemesis, oh, Staggering right. Insights, right. Curious Obsession. Yes. Woo! So Woo! okay. So, yes, I. I just, I just, I now I remember this match. You got yes, this up here. I'll, I'll actually add that. I'm going to add all the links I can for for deck lists below, so you'll get to see our round, our, our like who we fought in the rounds, and you'll see them on our mock field. He was on blue white bogles, and it was it, it, the 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 games were, and I can't stress enough, the most uninteresting games you'll ever play. <laughs> it was. Oh, I'm gonna play a thing. I'm gonna suit it up. I'm a fight over whatever. It doesn't matter. And since we were both dead, there was one game where he had suited up an Esper Sentinel with a Curious Obsession and then fought over the first removal spell. And the game, there's still a lot of game to be to be had, oh, yeah. right? But the, the, the second he fought over the first removal spell and I was like, this is going to be the most uninteresting and non-compelling match of the of the weekend. So I just extended my hand after like, like you got it. Well, the thing is, I was always like, I'm never going to be thinking about this match ever yeah, in my yeah, testing. Yeah. I'm not going to learn anything from this game because the you know you know the answer to this matchup. It's terminus. Exactly. Like yeah. I, I like you've already suited up a thing. There's nothing else to be gained from me playing the rest of this game, and I'm not having fun anymore, and I can't top it. Yeah. So all of the stars align of. I'm just going to it's time to get you know, lunch. <laughs> yeah, it was it, it was just the choice of like I'm going to just like 
have the experience that I want to have now, which is not playing this matchup. And so I extended my hand. I said, great games. And then I, and then I packed it up. Yeah. Um, but yes, I, now that I, now that you brought it up, I remember that. That's why I don't remember it because it was a blink. <laughs> you literally, literally blanked of, it out of your mind. It, it was it, it was literally a blink of an eye match because I was like, like no, no, I don't no. want to be here. I mind wipe myself. I don't want to be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yep. That's uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, that was that was the whole tournament for us. Uh, I don't know, man. I had I had a blast. I want to do more of these, and uh, you know, if 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 this video performs well, I think we'll do more more matches like this. Um, or more matches, more podcasts like this where we talk about our experience of the tournament and do do a round for round, but not like get too gritty in, into the into the details and stuff, which which I think we did a an okay job of. Um, yep. I have I, I have one one thing that I want to talk about uh, in my five uh, k uh, oh, performance. Yes. I went five and three. I mean five and three. I went four and three across seven rounds, and I can give some like just real quick rundowns of like what happened there there was one particular moment uh, across the day that was uh very much uh, a lesson learned that i think uh might be valuable to people who are watching uh so i'll just i'll do the quick rundown round 1 against reanimator i'm playing a shitload of uh fluster storms and i get there commended on both of us being able to play optimally but one thing that i learned uh heads up to all you combo players out there in game 1 i didn't know what he was playing i was keeping in the dark uh but uh, it took a long time on a mulligan decision and that tipped me off that he was on combo. Yeah. So when you're thinking about what hands you can keep and what you're looking at, get your reps in to maybe not take so much time. If you know that it's not going to be a protected kill or something like that, because it informed me on my mulligan to six as to what to put back. Yeah. So yeah, keep those, that, keep those, uh, you know, you, you've got to, you've got to do those openers, just do your opening reps constantly and see what different hands are worth keeping and be able to do the math by just looking at like seven different cards. Yeah. So the, I, I was, I was tipped off that I, I didn't know what kind of combo I just knew combo. So yeah. I was like, okay, well, I don't want these white cards, right? So, I mean, in, against Reanimator, sometimes you want source of plowshares, but for the most part, you want to keep a fatty from hitting the table. So it, it informed my mulligan. Mm -hmm. uh, in game two, I played against Grixis Delver, the first time that I saw Delver and the only time that I saw Delver uh, across me on the weekend. But something that I learned, so I had switched up my deck list for the 5K, and one of the cards that I, I, I moved more towards like a classic Miracles build with like a bunch of Snapcasters. And uh, against Grixis Delver, I was playing a Savine's Reclamation as a way to uh, pick up or recover from a Wasteland, but also to turbocharge me up towards uh, Thicker and Treat the Angels. So I played a one of uh, Savine's Recollection as just like a value card, uh, because if you pick up a fetch, it represents a mystical tutor off a mystic sanctuary later in the game. So there's some value there. Yeah. And it also lets me recur snapcasters for additional spells or dress downs to play against Urza Saga a little bit better. So against Grixis Delver, we get into a really grindy game one. And I have a Savine's Reclamation with a snapcaster and a dress down in my yard to his Dragon Rage Channeler, Murktide, no hand, right? So I have two swords to plowshares in my yard. And so what I do is I say, I'm going to flashback uh, Savine's Reclamation. I'm going to target Dressdown and Snapcaster. And uh, I was able to um, use a fetch to Mystic Sanctuary, one source of plowshares to the top of my deck. So I would draw it off the Dressdown and then Snapcaster the other source of plowshares to get rid of both its threats. Oh and my I'd be God. Sitting, I, I'd be sitting there with a Snapcaster and a, I think a couple of cards, but I don't remember what they were in hand to his empty, to, to his just board of lands right oh my god and so so i was like i'm Brutal. like this is it like like exactly what savian's reclamation is here to do which is grind it's gonna grind and 
So I, I do the flashback. We I do with that exact line. And uh, uh, right before we I, I like the turn passes over to him, he's like, wait a minute, does the does the snapcaster does the dress down see the snapcaster? This. Uh and I was like, oh well, I think that they come in and I I stack them because I think I I can have the snapcaster enter first and then the dress down afterwards so that like the sequence will will show like that. But like let's call a judge because I've never actually flashed back both of these things off a of civilian's reclamation yeah. before. So let's just double check to make sure. So we call the judge and I'm like, I explain the situation. I'm like, hey judge, like I flashed back civilian's rec reclamation for dress down and snapcaster. And uh, we just want to know, do they enter at the same time? Will the snapcaster see the, will the dress down stop the snapcaster? And without missing a beat, without like no second, like additional thought, the, the, the judge is like, yeah. I was like, yeah, like the snapcaster won't trigger. And he's like, yeah, the snapcaster won't trigger. No hesitation. No hesitation. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, well, fuck. Okay. I guess like, if that's the case, like, it, it just seemed like it was the easiest question he had received all day. Yeah. And I was like, was it right? I was like. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So I, I was like, I scooped it up because of like, if I, if I made that, I already committed to that play. Of course, it doesn't yeah. work. Then I'm, I'm staring down lethal on the table. So I, we just scooped it up and went to the next game. I learned later on in the day when I was explaining that to the guys in my car, because the guy that I played against, his name was, uh, is Anthony Laverde, uh, known for, uh, he was playing Delver, but he's one of the guys that like built, helped build, uh, the breakfast deck that, breakfast, uh, yeah. Bosch ended up winning the whole thing with. So we were talking about, and, and Anthony was in my car. So we were talking about it on the way home, and then the rest of the guys in the car were like, that's not how that works. And we are like, what are you talking about? So when you flash back Savine's reclamation, you target something, and then if you if you cast it from the graveyard, you copy it. So something yeah. else will target. So they stack. So the copy comes off first, putting something into play. That will trigger, and then the next thing will come into play, and that will trigger. So That's what I thought. I thought, yeah. So it worked the way I thought, which is- That's I a bummer the that the judge down. didn't know. So I flash it back, target the dress down. This the copy goes on the stack. I target the snapcaster. Snapcaster comes in. Trigger goes on the stack. Dress down comes in. Trigger goes on the stack. So it actually does work exactly the way that I thought it would. And I would have that that I likely end up winning that game had that been correct. The thing is, the oh. the lesson learned from that is I, I it's okay. Like I, I have no yeah. hard feelings on like whatever yeah, we call the judge. The judge got it wrong. The judge got it wrong, but whatever. Uh, Anthony ended up uh, I, uh, top eighting that event, so like you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't for for not right. Yeah. Um, so which is great, you know. Anthony had done a lot of work, and and uh, I'm I'm very happy that he had success in uh, across one of the um, tournaments that we played. But the lesson to take away is know how your cards work. You know, yeah. I, I I I I was I was under the impression that the way that I played the Savines reclamation worked the way that I thought it did. But I didn't specifically. I, I wasn't able to specifically. Yeah. I wasn't able to specifically articulate in the moment like why I thought it worked that way because I didn't. I, I didn't think to explain how it's like. Yeah, the copy goes and falls off the stack, and then the other card goes off the stack. And so, even though the judge got it wrong, it's still my responsibility to know how my cards work. Yeah. On top of that, you could, you know, you could have appealed. You know. Right. Right. But like that. But that's the thing. I didn't even think. Oh, I just interpreted the judge snapping off the answer as like oh of course yeah. obviously yeah. if the judge if the judge took no time to think about that and just knew the answer immediately then why i'm not going to question that but i also didn't know the interaction well enough to be like judge i'd like to appeal because i think that's incorrect right yeah. so ultimately it's on me to know how my cards work and so that's like a very valuable lesson learned right and now i i will never make that mistake again so that was the big takeaway from the 5K that I, you know, the the, the rest of the matches, like some of, some amount of it was interesting, um, but like not necessarily like uh, any major lessons learned. 
beyond the I was still soft to planeswalkers, but that that one thing, like know how your cards work, you know, in and in tight situations, like if you're if it even if a judge seems confident and you're not totally sure, ask the judge to please explain to you why the ruling is that way. Even if yeah. you're even if you think that they're right, it's okay to take an additional minute because if I just said judge, uh, I, I I understand. Can you just explain to me why? it works that way, right? Like use it as a learning experience. Yep. Because if I had just taken that one extra beat for the judge to explain what was going on, maybe he misinterpreted it. Yeah, you would have seen, you seen the whole, yeah. Maybe he thought the dress down was already on the table when I was flashing back to Statcaster. And so, you know, and, and so he was answering a question that I didn't ask, right? Like yeah. there, there, there's maybe a miscommunication. So had I just taken a, one, one second longer to ask the judge, please explain to me why it works this way. We would be uh, celebrating your top eight right now. It, 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 the, the, <laughs> the outcome might be different. So yeah. big, big lesson learned. Know, yeah. know, know what your cards do. And if you're not sure why a judge is making a ruling on something, even if you think that you understand why, have them actually explain to you why. You can get the time extension and it's well worth just knowing for the future what's going on. So, um, But all in all, I, I had a great... Uh, weekend playing yeah, what a magic. great time a, yeah my, my my record at the end of the weekend was nine and six so i was uh you know the a, a bread and butter but not enough uh to to make any uh profitable result but still had a great time would run it back uh can't wait for the next one yeah and i think that does it for us have a good one everybody come on